Evening, people. It's Chris from Chaos Movies. Just thought I'd uh, jump on and do another little review on a real sweet movie. I mean, I've watched this heaps of times. I just never never dived into it as much as I have this time for you guys, um, but at the same time learning a bit of new information about it for myself. And um, it's, uh, it's War Dogs. War Dogs, 2016 film based on the true story of the lives of David Packhouse and Efren Divarola, or Divaroli. Um, David Packhouse is played by Miles Teller, Efren Divaroli by Jonah Hill. Uh, the director of this movie is Todd Phillips. He is also the co-writer, co-producer. Bradley Cooper is a co-producer <clears throat> or a producer of this film. And, man, Todd Phillips, he's been the director of Joker, obviously War Dogs. All the Hangovers, Due Date, Starsky and Hutch, Old School, and I remember him from Old School and Due Date because I think he's the drug dealer in Due Date, and he's also the um, the gangbang guy from 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 um, Old School. One of my favourite movies. Won't review that. I'll just be like, watch it. It's funny. I don't care what you say. So it's based on. Two young fellas who take on a government contract, weapons contract, worth about $300 million for the Afghan war or the Iraqi war or whatever. And it starts off, it's, mate, Miles Teller narrates it. And I'm really, I love that because a lot of movies these days, they tend to have these narrators that have been around for a long time. And Miles Teller is, to me, He's going to be like the Morgan Freeman of narration in the future. Like this kid, I love Miles Teller. He's done a lot. He's doing a lot. Since this movie, he's obviously done heaps. But I really like him as an actor. And he massages rich dudes in South Beach. And clearly, they have to make it as miserable as possible. He gets paid 75 bucks an hour. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm a plumber in Australia, and we get like 80 bucks an hour. And in America, if you're doing 75 bucks an hour, I'm, I assume that's a lot of money for them. So doesn't really look like a bad job to me. Yeah, <clears throat> I always thought that if you do work for rich people, there's opportunities that come behind it. So I suppose if there is one drama with the start of this film is that it makes it look like he's doing it tough, banged up car, smoking weed in a private estate, security guard, catches him and says move on and then of course he's massaging this rich dude who clearly wants to fuck him so but it's 75 bucks an hour <clears throat> i can't escape that fact that that's actually good money in america i i thought half that minimum wage is probably don't even go there so they try to play it off as though he's not doing really well so he needs to get out of it he's unhappy even though he's a licensed massage therapist he's not just pretending to be one he is literally licensed it's legit so he's obviously done some stuff he dropped out of college so he's clearly smart that's what he's getting at and he moves on to this weird endeavor of selling 400 thread egyptian cotton sheets to nursing homes and the first nursing home he goes to and this is this cracked me up because I've never heard it before until I paid attention. It, he's sitting there talking with the owner of the nursing home, and of course, there's a song playing, 
and they brush past the guy who's been hired to sing a song in front of the nursing home crowd. Not a massive crowd. You can think it's in like an eating hall or something. But this, <laughs> the song is Don't Fear the Reaper by the Blue, o- Blue Oyster Cult. And it literally opens up. It's like, don't fear. The, you know, you're singing to elderly people in aged care. <laughs> Crack me up. So that song is originally written by the lead singer of Blue Oyster Cult, which was uh, written about the eternal love and the in- inevitability of death. He wrote it for his own early demise, basically. And it was sung at a retirement home to old people, don't fear the reaper, which it's inevitable that you're going to die. Real fucking upbeat and cheering. Yet this guy's trying to sell these Egyptian cotton bed sheets to the owner and the owner's just like, holy shit, man, when was the last time you seen an old person's skin? He's like, oh, I see him all the time, a massage therapist. He goes, well, then you would know it's literally like wrapping a reptile lizard in cashmere. And that's pretty funny because at the end of the day, I'm sure the residents of the retirement home are pretty happy with frigging wrapped in cashmere, but he doesn't want to spend the money. <laughs> but he's also got this dude singing about death songs in front of his um you know, that was that was funny. I, I found it I found it funny, but I was also like, Really? You're opening with that? So it turns out that, that singer that's singing behind the microphone in that scene, if you pay attention carefully, that is the real life David Packhouse, played by Miles Teller. So he was given a spot in the movie and they gave it to him up on stage. So that's pretty cool. I had to pause it, rewind back, and I was like, oh, wow. Yep, that guy looks familiar. Anyway, it turns out to be the you know, David Packhouse. So Jonah Hill obviously researched his role of um, Ephraim Viveroli and he refused to meet Jonah Hill. And Hill said that that's probably a good thing that he didn't want me to play him, so it means he's on the right track. So a little bit of defiance there um, made him a little bit more hungry for his character. So, yeah, you've got these two – you've got their two – they're friends. They weren't allowed to be friends after the 10th grade. Efren got shipped off to live somewhere else, and they weren't allowed to be friends. Uh, I've been down this road before when you have a – if you have a bad influence of a friend going through school, normally the parents try to do anything to keep you – away from hanging out and ultimately in the end you guys would run into each other and in case this movie they had I mean they're grown adults I don't know how they didn't catch up but they attend this funeral and um seems to be a Jewish ceremony got the rabbi there and of course Miles Teller or David Packhouse is there and Efren rocks up looking like a fat motherfucking tan Scarface. Now, this movie seems to play a lot of homage to Scarface or likes to do little hidden secrets. Uh, I'm pretty sure the title cover of this movie is very similar. There's a little bit of pink in it, but it's very similar to the same title cover of Scarface, black with white, white with black. And in this movie, it's two guys on the cover instead of one, white with black, black with white, and a little bit of a scratchy sort of sketch coloring to it as well. So there was that part, but... At the same time, I'm pretty sure Scarface was based in South Beach, Florida as well. Al Pacino's portrayal of, um, um, oh God, I forgot his name, Tony Danza. Anyway, we'll go with that. And 
there's a massive, massive photo of Scarface, Al Pacino's character, on the wall of Efren's office later on in the movie. And I, when I first seen this movie, I don't know if it's because I've had personal experience, when I seen Jonah Hill's character, he gained about 44 pounds um, for this film, so he got extra big. Uh, I love Jonah Hill's acting in all the movies he's in, but I, I especially like this one because he's gone out a little bit differently. <clears throat> he Well, no, it's written in that he is not comedic. It's not super bad. It's not Jump Street. It's Efren Diveroli. And he is a dude that looks like, well, I don't know. In this movie, it's sort of like he doesn't roll over anyone. He ain't going to take no shit. Whereas David Packhouse, his character is sort of like, you know, I'm just going to lay down and until, you know, I have to fight or someone's going to, you know, someone's going to help me out. And I've been in this situation most of, in parts of my life growing up. I had a mate who was beast, right? And I didn't, you know, I felt absolutely safe around him. So if anyone messed, but he had a screw loose in some ways. In this movie, he, he seems that way, but he also seems possibly jealous of his friend, David. I, I don't know. That's just the vibe I get at the start. It does turn into something later on. Um, but yeah, that's the vibe. So he's quite a, he's quite a big kid dressed up. He's heavily tanned, white button up shirts, you know, um, dripping in gold. And they, the, this movie's like Lords of War, which is, uh, Nicolas Cage and, um, oh God, Jared Leto. That, that's also a Jewish, it's really weird. I don't know what the connection is here or if there is a connection with this stuff, but Lords of War is also, well, I think it's, I think they're Polish. So they're Jewish as well. And in this movie, they're also Jewish. So I'm not sure what to go with uh, arms dealing and whatnot, being a, being somehow connected to the, the Jewish um, minority. I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on there, but Lords of War was a very serious take on, Going into a country, I mean, they did it the hard way by the look of it. They'd go into a country and buy up all the old weapons and then sell them onto the next one to keep the war going, keep that economy, that industrial war complex going. In this movie, it sounds like this is the post-event of Lords of War. So when government contract, this is the inside track of war. So this is America's government contracts. Bush comes in and tidies everything up and gives everyone an opportunity to bid on contracts, whether it be tanks, grenades, gas masks, uh, ammunition, helicopters, whatever. It's all on a public website for everyone to bid at. Clearly, you've got to go out and find out where you can get this shit, but it's also got to be from certain sources. That's what I'm figuring out as I watch this movie. But everyone's allowed to have a go. And like they say in the film, a lot of the big boys a lot of the big contractors aren't going to go for the small shit. And what these two do is they go for the small shit and that's where they feed off. And that small shit can be quite lucrative for them, but that's where the movie starts to evolve further on. So Efren asks David, who recently finds out that he's pregnant with his girlfriend at the time in this movie played by the beautiful Anna Diamas which I've mentioned several times. She's been um, Knock Knock. She's in Blade Runner 2049, um, Hand of God, 
plenty of movies. She's a beautiful girl. And she is pregnant. And clearly the bed sheets aren't selling. But remember, he's got that freaking massage job which brings him good money. Well, Efren offers him a job and says, I need the help. Why don't you come work with me? And and that's it. The 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 I don't know if this played out the, the way in real life as it did in this movie. Like Pearl Harbor and other movies, they add a love story or a bit of a like a different connection. Because this movie could have very well just played on without the without the connection with a girlfriend who's pregnant to give you a bit of a soft connection or a, a relatable narrative to people who understand relationships and whatnot. This movie could have played out without that, but they did it. He didn't tell her that he was going to work for Efren because he was afraid she was going to think less of him because they're against war. They're pro-peace, not pro-war. But it's not really about it. The war's already happened, so there's no point getting all rattled up in it. You're just pro-money, um, which is what Efren says in the movie. It's not about being pro-war. It's about being pro-money, about being smart. It's just about being smart. The contracts are there. They're public. There's nothing illegal about them. So just, just go do it. But he leaves out that one crucial thing with relationships, right? It's all about the 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 con oh, the context of a relationship or the main narrative at the start. Besides love, is communication. I guess you you've got to communicate, and that's for us. That part there, I believe, is a flaw, is because that part is for us to see, so we can get invested. Of like, oh shit, man, you didn't tell her what you're doing. Oh man, I'm gonna have to watch how this plays out. But if he come out and said, hey, babe. I'm going to go sell some guns to uh, the military and because, uh, you know, the war's already happening and I'm going to make a heap of money. She probably would have come around. But that's just not what people want to see in a movie. They want to see that desperate, crazy, what's going to happen, the shit hits the fan, it's going to be epic. I'm interested to see how they're going to let this play out. You know, that is what they've done with this part. So once we get to there... He lies to her, says they're going to do something, and that's it. As this movie goes on, I like to pick up on a couple of more things. Even though I find it to be just a really interesting take, even true story, but just an interesting perspective being in Australia that we don't really see much of this military action going on. And I noticed that, Miles Teller starts getting really good at his job and he starts picking up a lot of clientele, a lot of connections with European arms dealers and they and whatnot. They just they land this deal and it's called the Beretta deal. I looked it up at press pause, looked it up, and the deal itself was worth six hundred thousand dollars, right? It's just a Beretta deal to a to a captain of the US Army and uh his take on it was thirty percent. It's hundred and eighty thousand dollars. And the narration says, I'm about to make more money, or with this Beretta deal, I'm about to make more money than a lifetime of massages. And I was like, pause, hold up. I mean, it's not, it's not a lot of money, but I just did the numbers real quick. And in 25 years, at 75 bucks an hour for seven hours a day, times a week, 52 weeks a year, blah, blah, works out to be just under $800,000. I'm like, well, you're just about to make $180,000 as opposed to eight hundred. dollars So that's probably a little bit of a flaw there. They could have checked that up. 
before you say it. I know he's probably been sarcastic, but really, when you're, you know, you're basically laying it out there that you are going to earn more in this deal than you would a lifetime of massages. Um, uh, yeah, it doesn't doesn't really make sense. But <laughs> I just thought it was funny that just to just to do a little check up on the numbers there. Um, I I still resort back to the fact that I think Efren's character as much as he might have been a tough kid growing up, that was his Donald Trump thing where he was sort of like, he's tough because of the position he's in now, but when he was younger, they, 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 he references the fact that he got into a fight or that Efren got into a fight in sixth grade over, over some chick and Efren just starts swinging windmill arms in the fight, which I thought was pretty funny because I've seen that in high school a couple of times. Normally the only person swinging windmills is normally the one getting bullied. So if Ephraim was bullied, that would make sense that now he is the way he is, that when someone sort of stands up against him, he loses his shit because crazy is a, a lot a lot of a better – it's a better position to be in, say, if you're making a deal and you just go from zero to crazy, that other person, whether they're the bully and you're the bullied – you could probably stand a chance if you just act like a nut. So throwing windmill punches, yeah, that's probably it. So I think maybe Efren's character in real life, um, sorry, Efren, the character that Jonah Hill plays in real life, was actually bullied. So maybe that's why he didn't like the way he was portrayed as a as a person on screen and he didn't actually want to collaborate with Jonah Hill. So maybe that's that's my take on it, you know. Uh, whereas Miles Teller playing David, maybe David liked the way Miles was going to play him and thought this is going to make me look good, make me feel good about it. But either way, that's that's how it went down. Probably one of the funniest scenes in this movie, though. <laughs> I'll just call it the Triangle of Death, and then I'll backtrack. So, the Triangle of Death obviously is a section you could probably call it the Bermuda Triangle of the Middle East where they drive from Armenia, um, from Jordan with these guns, the Beretta deal, because they had to get the Berettas from Italy, which they Italian-made, but there was obviously a problem. So they found a little loophole which said that if the Berettas were taken from Italy to Jordan, then Italy wouldn't have a problem with the weapons because they'll go in Jordanian military, right? So therefore, that's the, that's the hole. But they weren't. They were just bringing them to Jordan so they can then ship them onto, onto Iraq. And um, they do a gun run. They're gun runners, so why wouldn't they run? So I'm assuming this is why the movie or this story become big, right? Because what they did, they wanted to fly them there, but they couldn't. So they said, no, you use, you know, the locals said, use Marlboro. He's the best gun runner or the best, uh, um, whatever you call it, dude that just runs shit into a different country and he does it three to four times a month and doesn't get caught. Obviously, David Packhouse isn't as uh, optimistic, whereas um, Efren is. This is the funny thing I noticed about this movie. They kind of bounce off each other because when Efren's stressed, David isn't, and when David is, Efren isn't. I'm just like, I'm not sure about the, the you know... Especially when this 11-year-old hustler in Jordan is telling them, he's translating for the dudes who are going to get these guns from the embassy that are holding them at, at like holding them. So this 11-year-old says, yeah, give him some coin and he'll get the guns for you. And he's like, okay, cool. 
So they're in Jordan, in a Muslim country, waiting on these weapons because an 11-year-old translator said that this guy could get them. So he starts losing his shit like, he's fucked this, I know what I've been fucked and I know how to fuck people, so I know what it's like. And, and David's just like, just chill, bro, everything will be okay. Like, it's weird, like the script was written that way, then the phone rings, and of course, everything's okay. But when they run these guns, 800 kilometers away, 500 miles, through Fallujah, on their way to Baghdad, and they come across a roadblock at night, and David starts losing his shit over it, and I'm like, and then he's like, it's okay, man. Everyone's like, it's all good. This is this how they are. They go to a petrol station. He David finds a dead guy, and he's like, there's a fucking dead guy here, and Everyone's like, yeah, man, it's fucking Middle East. There's a war going on. Of course there's dead people. He's so optimistic. He's so like, it's all good, bro. Don't worry about it. I'm like, hold on. You're worried about an 11-year-old ripping you off in Jordan. And that turned out okay. So <laughs> the balance is, it's a bit of a weird balance there. But of course, they end up, what, what's funny about it is that they stop at this place and they start getting chased by militia. And I'm assuming... I'm not sure, Al-Qaeda, Taliban, I'm not sure, whatever they are, but in Fallujah, they're chasing him. So they take off in this busted-ass freaking truck and they start filling it up, or Marlboro, the gun runner, starts filling it up with petrol as they're driving and they're getting close and they're shooting at him and shit and I'm thinking, God damn, this is gonna get, they're going to get like crushed. But this is what made, must have made the story famous is because just as they... Are, funny enough, they get to the border... And the cars that are in chase just stop. And that's when, as Efren quotes, Dick, fuck, I, God, I love Dick Cheney's America. These big helicopters, Humvees to start hurling at these freaking militia vans and just like scare them off, obviously. And that's when they knew they'd run through. And when they meet up with Captain Morris, he's like, well, you know, you guys delivered these? Yep. You drove through the triangle of death. And they're like, yes, we did. <laughs> like they knew what the fuck was going on. So that's in me when I watch that, I, I see that part. That's what must have made this movie quite iconic because, well, not iconic, but just must have made it sort of like a really cool story because no one else runs guns this way, especially not, I'm not sure, I think it was a thousand Berettas, nine millimeter Berettas through a country that literally would just kill you for just being there. And they made it through it to get to the other end. And you wait till you see the amount of money. I don't know where they get this money from, how it's there, but it's called the money cage and they get paid. I'm assuming they get flown back by military. I'm not sure how it all works out. You do find out later on. So, I mean, as much as I enjoy talking about this movie in such a short time period, there's plenty more to say. I just want to let you guys watch the rest of it. I seem to do this a lot when I do reviews. I don't want to go too far. I like to talk about the first half, uh, maybe first quarter or first three quarter, whatever. I don't finish. I don't try not to finish them off now because I just want you guys to either watch it or you've already watched it and you can go, yep, I know exactly what he's talking about. That's cool. Blah, blah, that's enough. But at the end of the day, this movie is a bit fun because it's based on a true story. There's good turmoil between two friends. Uh, there's there's betrayal. There's, there's love. There's There's... Yeah, or pretty much the ultimate betrayal, lying. There's letdowns, 
Bradley Cooper pops up in this for a little bit and he plays a super cool role. Uh, you know, it's a cool story. I, I wish I wish we had more movies like this. I'm sure there's many more stories like this. These are the only group that we see making a movie or writing a book based on their experience as basically uh, contractors on the smaller side of the military industrial industrial complex. I'd love to see what other crooked shit that the fucking people do just to fund these wars, you know. It's crazy. But anyway, War Dogs 2016, directed by Todd Phillips, starring Jonah Hill, Miles Teller, and Adia Mas. Have a watch. I loved it. I'm sure you will too. As always, thanks for listening. Give me a shout. Look on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Cast, whatever. If you want to jump on Apple Podcasts, throw a little review on there, a couple stars, whatever. It's up to you. I just enjoy talking about movies. So appreciate you listening. As always, catch you later. Bye-bye.